And the rest of us can turn in our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 6. Has anybody gotten sick of Leviticus yet? I have an update for you. We are 22% done the book after today's sermon. That leaves 10 months left of Leviticus with a few breaks in between. I hope you guys are enjoying your time or our time in Leviticus. Uh, we're praying for the church and for us as we study. And uh, if you would like to get involved in a community group that would be able to uh, maybe kind of help as you connect what we're studying Leviticus to our daily lives, as well as listening, please reach out to me or just get involved in the community groups. It's a great time to get together and to talk about the scriptures, about what we're learning on Sunday, and to just kind of flush that out and, and the practical use of it. And it's so good that we're studying Leviticus and there's actually things that are practical in it for 2022. Who would have thought that that would have been the case, especially when Pastor Jeff kind of cued it up by saying, this is the book that we're studying, which is where Bible reading plans go to die. And uh, here we are, six chapters in, and we're going to keep going through it and hoping that the Lord uses it in our lives. This particular passage this morning is a little bit different than what we've studied, and Jeff so graciously gave me four verses as opposed to a chapter and a half. So we'll have you guys out of time and ready for lunch a little bit sooner today because I don't have as much ground to cover. But certainly there are a few keywords that we want to focus in on this morning as we study this passage. The main difference in Leviticus 6 in, in the four verses that we're about to read shortly uh, is, is that first that the Lord is speaking. And so he transitions this, uh, this what he has been saying to what he is now saying. And he says, the Lord spoke to Moses. God has always been clear as we've studied through Leviticus. He's been clear as to how he prescribes for the nation of Israel how they ought to worship him. It has not been, worship me in any way that you would like to, but he's been very clear as far as what it looks like to offer offerings and sacrifices to God. And it shows us that God is a God of order, not chaos. He's a God of order. And we're grateful to him for that, that he has prescribed for us how we ought to live and shown us in the scriptures the way to live a flourishing life. And, and he has set that up for us. But as we learn about the grain offering, we're reminded of chapter 2 that Jeff shared with us, Pastor Jeff, a few weeks ago. And the reason that this is different, we're still talking about the grain offering this morning, but what's different about this is that everything we've learned up until this point has been, what does the nation of Israel do with the grain offering? How do they offer it to God? And what does that look like? And in these four verses, we're going to see what it looked like for the priests to offer the grain offering to the Lord, which is different as the priests served a different function in the nation of Israel. And so therefore, this offering before the Lord looked a little bit different, and yet God is so clear and He prescribes exactly how that ought to look. And we're going to look at some of the implications of that this morning. So let's read Leviticus 6, verse 19 to 23. Follow along with me as I read the Word of the Lord this morning. Starting in verse 19. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering that Aaron and his sons shall offer to the Lord on the day when he is anointed, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half in the evening. It shall be made with oil on a griddle. You shall bring it well, well mixed in baked pieces like a grain offering and offer it for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Verse 22, the priest from among Aaron's sons who is anointed to succeed him shall offer it to the Lord as decreed forever. 
the whole of it shall be burned. Every grain offering of a priest shall be wholly burned and shall not be eaten. This is the word of the Lord. So the first thing we see about the grain offering is the preparation of the offering in verse 21. And we have learned about three different ways that the grain offering was prepared according to what Pastor Jeff has taken us through in Leviticus 2. And you can go there and look if you'd like. But what we're told here is they were to bring a tenth of an ephah of flour, which is about ten cups of flour, thanks to one of you that pointed that out to Jeff and I this week. It's ten cups of flour. But what is interesting about the tenth of an ephah is that if you, you know, follow that back in Leviticus, you go to the sin offering, and it was also the offering that could be brought to the Lord uh, for an individual that did not have enough to offer anything else, right? Two turtle doves or a male goat, and we, we remember the sin offering. And so even a tenth of an ephah of fine flour could cover the sins of even the poorest person in, in society. And this is the same thing. The tenth of an ephah is what was to be brought uh, by the priests as an offering to the Lord as a grain offering. And so as the cheapest of the sin offerings, it, it was similar. And we also see in verse 21 that the priests were to bring it on a griddle. They were to make it on a griddle and, and bake it and bring it in pieces before the Lord and then offer it to God. And that was one of the ways, one of the three ways that they were allowed to prepare this offering for God. And so it was oil on a griddle, maybe like a tortilla or a pancake, that kind of thing, but broken in pieces with no yeast, obviously. And it was baked in pieces and brought to the Lord. And so we see God's prescription for how it ought to be prepared and brought. And in verse 20, we see the re- that it is a regular offering. And you'll notice that in your Bibles, it doesn't read that way. And so it may be a little bit confusing as we walk through. But what, is, what comes through in the languages is that this was a regular daily offering. This was something that the high priest was to offer before the Lord every single day. Not just, in, in Leviticus 2, we know that it's a voluntary, the grain is a voluntary offering according to the nation of Israel, but for the high priest, this was every day. And what it says about that also is that it's to be offered half of it in the morning and half of it in the evening. It, it bookends their day as far as this offering is concerned. An offering of thanksgiving, an offering that is a memorial. If we think back to what we've learned about the grain offering, it was a thanksgiving and a, and a memorial and a, even a, a calling on God to remember his promises to them. But what this also showed us by, by having them offer first in, in the morning and then in the evening is their dependence on God for everything, for their entire day. And we do something similar to that. Some of you, if we have some spiritual disciplines and routines, we will wake up in the morning and maybe the, one of the first things you do is go to the Lord in prayer in the morning. And typically, what we will do is we'll come to the Lord in prayer at the end of our day as well, thanking Him and praising Him for what He has done. And so we do this in similar ways, even now, maybe out of habit and spiritual discipline. But the principle remains the same, that we are dependent wholly on God for every area and every part of our lives. We're dependent on Him for His grace. And when the nation of Israel and when the priests would take this seriously, this would protect them from spiritual pride. The priests specifically. Because the priests were chosen by God to serve a particular function, but the reality is that both the priests and the nation of Israel were in need of God. And the same reality that we read about here is a reality that we wrestle with on a daily basis as well. You may be tempted, and maybe you, if you were honest, you have been tempted to think that your involvement in community events, your involvement in the church, your involvement in the service here at Grace, in what you're doing, 
uh, in how much you give, maybe those things you have felt like God looks on you or is, or is pleased and happy with the things that you do in acts of service to him. Now that may be true, but when we start to look at others and start to think, oh, well, what are they doing? Or, oh, I, I might be, you know, I'm a little more faithful than them because they're not doing it. Or I don't see them at these certain events or services. We fall into this trap of spiritual pride, right? Where we start to think that our actions, our service is actually more pleasing to God than somebody else's because of our function and what we've been doing. And if we're honest, that's happened to us often. But it doesn't matter how obedient we are, it doesn't matter how closely we walk with the Lord, we are all still in desperate need of God and His grace every day, every morning, every evening. We are wholly dependent on God for our lives. We do not run our lives. We do not own ourselves. We've been purchased. We've been bought. And we are wholly dependent on God for life and breath and everything. And we ought to see our brothers and sisters in Christ in that same way as well. So God, help us to see our daily need of grace from our Father. And the third thing we learn about this sacrifice in verse 20 and 22 is that it was ceremonial. It was to be done, we see this word anointing, anointed two times. It was to be done on the day of anointing. So it was a regular offering that happened every single day, but also when the high priest was anointed or succeeded, he was to offer this offering again, and it was to happen two times. But it was a ceremonial offering by the priest and by the high priest. And he was the one to offer this sacrifice every day and also at the inauguration of the priesthood and every time he was succeeded. And it served as a reminder as he stepped into his new role in service as the high priest that he was, again, dependent on God for everything. That, the, that where he had come in life and to this point, everything was by the grace of God. And these are certainly helpful reminders for us this morning. In verse 21, we see that this grain offering that the high priest offered was a pleasing aroma. And we've seen this as we've walked through the different offerings. We've seen this phrase, pleasing aroma. But when this offering was offered in the particular way that God had ordained and asked it to be done, it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And it pleased God when they were living in obedience. And the reality for us is that when we worship God according to His precepts and according to how He has called us to, when we live according to what His will is, we can also honor and please the Lord. And as I was thinking about this phrase this week, as, we were, as I was studying rather, I was thinking of, of pleasing aroma and just reminded of, I know my weaknesses, I know where I have fallen short, I know where I mess up, I know where I sin, and yet we can offer to God a pleasing aroma. And we can only do that by the grace of God in our lives. We can only do that because Jesus paid the price for our sins and was the propitiation for our sins and satisfied the wrath of God. But you and I, we can offer something pleasing to God because of Jesus. And that's an incredible thing when you think about our sin. When you think about how fickle we are and how often we turn from God, that we could honor Him and please Him with our lives. It's incredible, and we're thankful for God's grace in that, in our weaknesses and in our struggles, that we can live a life pleasing to God. So this offering was pleasing, but it was also wholly burned. In verse 22 and 23, we read that it was to be wholly burned. And in Leviticus 1, as we walked through the burnt offering, we saw the same principle applied. The whole offering was to be burned 
before the Lord. When the priests offered the grain offering, it was to be completely consumed. And this was an everyday thing that they did, as we've talked about. But again, signifying to God the whole dedication of this offering, of the sacrifice. And for us as worshipers, you know, our whole lives and our whole bodies and our whole beings being given over to God for worship, to be uh, a sacrifice for Him. And we see that theme there. And then finally, we see that this, in verse 23, that this offering was not to be eaten, which is different than what we learned about last week. God had a way of, of um, providing for the priests through the offering, and it was not through their own offering and their own sacrifices that they made to God. The priests were never to derive from the grain offering any benefit from that offering. And again, we ought to be careful where in our context and where we are that we do not give to the Lord, that we do not offer to God, that we do not serve Him looking for added benefits for that, right? Whether it's, you know, giving this in hopes that I'm going to get something back. When the priests offered and when we offer, what it ought to look like is an open hand where we offer it to God and we trust that He's going to provide for us even when we're offering the entire sum of whatever that is, whether it's our, whether it's our lives, whether it's service, whatever it is financially, and we trust that God is going to provide in that, and we're going to give that wholly to Him. We're not going to hold back some of that because we want security. We ought to offer it wholly to Him. And the priests were not to get any sort of benefit from their offerings as they brought them before the Lord. And when we give and when we sacrifice and when we serve the Lord, it's not truly an offering if there's selfish motive behind it. It's not truly sacrifice not truly service if there's a selfish motive of what we might gain or get from it and we have to remember that as we live out our lives as living sacrifices to god so we see the priests and our second point as we walk through the grain offering this morning is that in this text at least we see the appointing of the priests. there's this word there's two new words that we're going to look at and focus in on this morning they're not new words you've heard them before but they are words that we don't talk about very much maybe in our context here at grace and certainly even in in north american culture and that is the first one being anointed you know how often do we talk about the anointing but the priests were anointed, the anointing of the priests. They were, and what that means for us is that they were set apart for a special purpose, a special calling. See, in the Old Testament, ceremonial anointing was the physical act of pouring oil over somebody's head or rubbing it on them or, or um, smearing it on them. Or, and even an object would receive an anointing. We know that the ark that was in the temple was also anointed with holy oil set apart, chosen for a specific holy purpose. And so this could be a person or an object in the Old Testament. Certainly we see more that people were anointed by God. And as we come into Leviticus 8 in a few weeks, we're going to see you know, the consecration or, uh, of the priest and the whole ceremony of what all that looked like as far as them being anointed. And so we'll learn more about that. We're not going to spend time there this morning, but we will get to that. But the point being for us is that to be anointed, for the priest to be anointed, it meant they were set apart. There was a special calling for them. There was a special calling. And for the priests, that purpose was to serve as a mediator between God and man. They were to kind of represent God's presence and they were to offer sacrifices pleasing to God and atoning for the sins of the, of the nation. And they were to do that on behalf of the sinner. And they served in God's presence and were 
appeasing the wrath of God through the sacrifices for the nation. And so they had a unique function, a unique role as priests. Not everybody was a priest. We also see about the anointed priests that God's favor was upon them. And as we, if we were to turn to 1 Samuel 16 and read about the anointing of David and how Samuel came to David to anoint him, it says this in verse 13 of 1 Samuel chapter 16, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. God's favor was upon David. God's favor was upon the priests and those who he had called and anointed and set apart to, to serve in a particular function. But in Psalms 28.8, we also see that God was their provision. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. So God's presence, God's favor, God's protection was upon those whom he anointed. It's in the Old Testament. But just like everybody else, the priests still needed to make an offering for their sins. And forgiveness for sin was still necessary for them. Offerings had to be made. And so as we trace the anointing of the priests, we also want to look this morning at somebody else who was anointed in the Scriptures. Somebody who was far greater than the priest and whose priestly line was far greater. And that is the anointed Christ. See, the Old Testament predicted that Jesus was going to be anointed and that he was anointed. You can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4 or make reference of it. If you were to turn there, you would find that Jesus is in Nazareth, his, home, his hometown, and he's in the synagogues. And the reading that was for that particular day that he was in the synagogue was Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. And so in Luke 4, we read a quotation from Isaiah 61. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the Old Testament predicted that someone was going to come anointed by God and Jesus is in the synagogue reading this and he says, that's me. That's who this scripture is about. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim what? To proclaim good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to proclaim or to recover sight to the blind. We think of his healing ministry, liberty to the oppressed. And so the Old Testament pointed to an anointed Christ. But if the miracle of Jesus' birth, the virgin birth, wasn't enough to point to that, and, and also, you know, the, the scriptures uh, predicting it, we have Jesus' very name, Jesus Messiah. And if you guys know what that means, you know that Messiah means chosen one or anointed one. That's what his very name meant. And so Jesus was, Jesus Christ was the anointed one. He was called by God for a special, holy, unique purpose. And he explained in Isaiah 61, he pointed to what that was at least certainly part of that but we also see in the new testament proof of the anointing of jesus and maybe one proof would be hebrews chapter 7 verse 27 see in leviticus where we're studying the priests would offer to god sacrifices for their sins for the sins of the nation of israel they'd offer them daily 
and both on behalf of themselves and the nation of Israel. But in Hebrews 7, verse 27, which we are going to study by God's grace next year as we walk through Hebrews, it says this in verse 27, He has no need, talking about Jesus Christ, like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. Praise God that Jesus did that for us, that he offered his life as a perfect living sacrifice for us to atone for our sins, to appease the wrath of God, to reconcile us to God. Jesus did that for us. He sacrificed himself one time, but because he was perfect, he did not have to continually do that. And so he offered his life as a living sacrifice for us. But not only in Hebrews, also in the book of Acts, we see proof of Christ's anointing. Acts 10, verse 37 and 38. As we read about Jesus' ministry and the things he, he did, we read this. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what did he do? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Sounds a lot like Isaiah 61. The Holy Spirit and the power that Christ displayed through healings and miracles was proof that Jesus was sent by God, that he was an anointed one, that he was chosen by God. But not only does the Bible speak about anointed priests and anointed Christ and the anointed Christ, it also speaks of the believer being anointed. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of that before, but you are anointed. According to the scriptures this morning, you and I have been anointed, called for a set, set apart for a specific purpose. We've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Firstly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read these words, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put a, His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What does it say in that first verse? It is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And so what Paul is saying is, him for himself and for the believers that were there, we have been, and those who are saved, have been anointed by the Holy Spirit through God in Christ. Romans 11 talks about the same spirit and the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is that same power that lives in us right now, that is alive in us, that same power. And one of the results certainly of being anointed by the Holy Spirit is that we are sanctified and being sanctified by that Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. Praise God that we are not where we are going to be and that God is going to bring us to full completion through the sanctifying process of His Spirit and His Son when He comes back. And a glorious day that will certainly be when we are free from sin. For the anointed believers, the Holy Spirit is not something that we ought to get. Now I know in our context here, we may not hear about this word anointing, and in different Christian circles, you may hear this word used a little bit more. And uh, typically the way you'll hear it is in special anointings or looking for uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
and you will have some people who are looking for that experience, for more of God, for special anointings to be able to do specific things. And we've read, and I didn't take us to Romans 11, but we remember that verse that talks about the power of Christ that lives in us. It's that same power. And the reality for us is that we ought not to be looking for more of the Holy Spirit. We ought to be careful with those words and those terms, because we're not looking for more of Him as if when God indwelt us and gave the Spirit to us to abide in us, He didn't give us all of the Spirit. Because the Scriptures do not say that. The Scriptures do not encourage us to go out and look for more of the Spirit as if we do not already have the Holy Spirit with us. We have all of the Holy Spirit. We have all of the power of God that resided in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit living inside of us right now. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. The problem is not that we need more of the Holy Spirit. The problem is that we don't listen to the Holy Spirit that's already there. That's really where the rub is for us in how we actually listen to the Spirit of God working in our lives. And so instead of asking for more of the Spirit, we ought to be asking God to uh, submit us and humble us to the Spirit, to the Spirit's work in our lives as we listen and look for Him as He speaks to us through His Word and through prayer and through even other believers. But this is different than the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, when God anointed somebody, He did not permanently abide in that person. For David, for the priests, it was not a permanent thing like it was in the New Testament when Jesus and when God's Spirit rather abides in us. So the first thing as an anointed believer we realize is that we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the second thing is that we have been anointed so that we might know the truth. 1 John 2 verse 20 says this, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And as we look at the context of 1 John, we see that this is in a passage talking about antichrists that are going to, that will come and will lead us away from God, from the message of the Bible, from the Scriptures. And what is encouraged by John is that you've been anointed, and, and in that anointing, you have the knowledge of the truth. Because of the Spirit that is alive and at work in us and dwelling in us, we have the ability to discern truth, to see it as truth from error, to see what God's Word actually says, to see who Christ really truly was. And we ought not to be then deceived by those antichrists because we have been anointed and we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, there are certainly many ministries of the Holy Spirit, and one of them is to guide us into truth to help us to understand what God and Jesus have already said through the Scriptures. But we also see that the anointed believer is, and the anointed believers rather, are priests. The anointed believers are priests. So first thing for you this morning is that you are anointed. You have been anointed. Second thing is, you are a priest. What does that mean in 2022 when all we think of for priests are maybe the Roman Catholic Church. What does that mean that we are priests? We've never really, I don't think, we don't seriously consider what that means for us. But if the anointed are priests, and I want to just show you in the Scriptures how God brought that all about. And so turn in your Bibles to Exodus 19, if you will, or follow along as I read. But God promised to Moses, He made a promise in Exodus 19, which we are going to get to in our Bible reading plan if you are reading through that. 
He makes a promise, his design for the nation of Israel as he's called them already as a nation. And he says this in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God's plan with the nation of Israel was that they would be a kingdom of priests, not just a line of priests that are making sacrifices on behalf of, but that everybody would be priests, a kingdom of priests. And yet we know in the scriptures that the nation of Israel failed time and time again. They turned from God, they disobeyed God, they did not follow Him, and before we look down our noses at them, we ought to remember that we do the same thing, and we are that very same people. And yet the nation of Israel, they did not live up to that. And so what did God do? Well, God in His sovereign plan anointed Christ and sent Christ, as we've looked at, to be that priest, that holy, perfect priest for the nation of Israel. And He sacrificed His life on the cross and satisfied the wrath of God for those very people and all who would come to, to him. And as a, as a result, rather, when we go to 1 Peter chapter 2, God fulfills his promise in Exodus in the church today. So tw- in 2022, right now, God is fulfilling this promise that we just read in Exodus 19, that God is called and has called the nation to be a kingdom of priests. He's fulfilling that in the church right now. And it's only possible because Jesus came as the perfect priest for us. But what a cool thing to think that God has done that and how he has done that in his sovereignty and is now using us as priests. Let me read 1 Peter 2.9 so you understand what we're talking about as we reference it here. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise God for that. We are priests. Have you ever considered yourself as a priest? Not in the way that we typically would understand it. See, a priest was somebody who was set apart, as we've talked about, somebody who was called for a specific holy purpose. They were anointed by God, as we are. And so if you've ever wondered about your purpose as a believer, here it is right here, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You're anointed, you're a priest. What does that mean? We've been set apart, we've been called. And what does it say in the second half of verse 9, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the obvious implication for us as priests is that, much like what was fought for at the Reformation, that me, myself, your elders, Pastor Jeff, we are not the only ones that can, think of, that can speak authoritatively from God's word. You can understand God's word. You can read the Bible and understand it because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's the first reality. You do not need us up here. Now, certainly the New Testament points to an office of elder and overseer. And so I think we're being obedient to the scriptures, but 
We do not and we must not just rely on one person to tell us everything that God says and that God's Word says as far as understanding it. We can read it and understand it for ourselves. And we also don't need anybody to represent us before God because we have the Holy Spirit and His presence living inside of us. And so we don't need somebody to get us access to God and to, and to go there for us. I mean, Christ did that certainly with His sacrifice and made it possible that we can now go with boldness to the throne of grace for mercy. And so there's two realities very quickly for us that are right there. So it doesn't matter for us if you feel like a Moses who, you know, who said to God, I don't know what I'm going to say. I, I don't, I'm a man of, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to talk. I, w- I wouldn't be eloquent in my speech. And God says, I'm going to use you. It doesn't matter if you feel like a Moses or if you feel like your favorite preacher who is the most eloquent and, ele- and, and elegant preacher as far as being able to speak and share from God's word. It doesn't matter where you fall in that spectrum it doesn't matter because our, our position spiritually is the same. And that's a great reality for us as priests before God. And so as we, as we kind of wrap things up this morning, what I do want to do is take us really quickly to the end of uh, verse 9 of 1 Peter. I want us just to look at that phrase that we've already kind of read, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. What does that mean for us as priests, as anointed ones? I've said this already, that we're set apart. But our purpose for being set apart as priests and as anointed ones is a means for us to announce the gospel to all those who are living in darkness. That's our calling. That's our purpose to proclaim the excellencies of God, how He has called us and brought us from darkness to light. That's why God has called us. And so we are an extension there by, therefore, on earth of God's body, of, or sorry, of Christ and of His body and of the ministry that Christ uh, lived out as He was obedient to God's call. And so as we faithfully live out being the church and being the body of Christ, people will know who we are and they'll know that we are from God, anointed, called from God. And I take you to John 13, 35, which says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The world will know that we are from God and not from this world if we have love for what John 13 says, for one another. And so as God's anointed, we are different. We are holy, we are set apart, we've been changed, we've been taken from darkness to light. That's different from the people that we live with and live around and the communities that we live in. We are different. Do you see yourself as different, as distinct, as set apart? Now separation does not mean isolation. It doesn't mean that we gather together only with fellow believers and don't associate with anybody that is not like us. Separation is contact, but without contamination. It means that we love the world, or sorry, we live in the world, but we don't love the world. It means we live in the world, but we don't value the things that the world values. Because we've been called out of darkness into life. We don't pursue the same things that the world would pursue necessarily, albeit maybe there are some good things. 
because our calling and our purpose is set apart. It's different. And we've read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, what that is. And so we don't concern ourselves with the same things that maybe the world does because our mission is different. And certainly, Pastor Jeff got into that last week as we learned about our God's holiness and our mission being God's holiness. This verse in 1 Peter certainly adds to that because part of being a part of God's holiness and part of calling people to that is God's message of the gospel and bringing people out of darkness into light. And so this morning, do you see yourself as different, as, an, as anointed, as a priest, as somebody with a separate calling? No, we are different. We have a different purpose. So may God give us the grace and the wisdom to live out our anointing as God's chosen people, set apart for His own work. May God help us to see that our lives are not about ourselves. They're not about building our kingdom and our desire our desires rather here on earth. Therefore, living for Him, therefore, living according to His purposes and what He has called us to, and to share the excellencies of His grace and mercy with the world around us. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, we're so grateful to come here this morning and to sing truth out of um, your scriptures. And so, God, we just thank you for those things that we've been able to sing, the things we've been able to hear. And God, we pray that this morning that you would help us, that you would help us to see our calling as anointed priests. And God, we don't consider those words and they certainly lose their value to us because of maybe their age. And yet, God, we know that you have called us and set us apart for a holy purpose. And we pray that you would help us to value and love the things that we ought to, that you would call us to love. Help us to live in this world and yet not to to love it and to value it and to pursue it the way that others may. And help us, God, to boldly proclaim the excellencies of your mercy and how you have brought us and, and brought your people out of darkness into light. And God, we thank you that we can gather, that we can come together and be encouraged by one another. And we pray that you would just strengthen us as we go this week into all the different spheres of our influence, and we pray that you would help us to live out our calling, God, as your holy people, and as we proclaim the message of your good news, give us the strength and the boldness to do that. Help us not to be distracted from our mission. God, there's so many things that could distract us, and yet we pray that you would just help us to be focused and to live out what you have called us to do this morning. We thank you for your love and your grace, and we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.